You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where, of course, we talk about the Indiana Pacers. As always, my name is Tony East. I cover the Pacers for Forbes and the West Indianapolis Community News and the Fieldhouse. Today would have been a game day against uh, the high in the Western Conference, Houston Rockets, who have had a very interesting season doing their fun experiment with Westbrook and Harden. Uh, and to break down what this game might have looked like if it was actually happening tonight, Host of Lockdown Rockets, a little crossover action, action, Jackson Gatlin. Jackson, how you doing, man? You holding up uh, in these trying times? I'm doing, you know, I'm doing pretty good. Unfortunately, I didn't stock up on toilet paper, so I'm a little bit screwed <laughs> there. But, you know, I'm doing, I'm doing pretty well, all things considered. How are you holding up, man? We were low on the toilet paper here, but we just got more a few days ago. So I am holding up really well. I am all set for... A long hiatus at home. Hopefully it's not too bad. But I'm excited to talk about actual basketball because most of the shows I've been doing are not about actual basketball. Well, actual hypothetical basketball, right? Yeah, yeah. Excuse me. Yes. Yeah, I talked like the, the Pacers played the, would have played the Suns on Monday. And the Suns are doing that 2K thing, right, where they have a player play. Oh, yeah, the simulations. So I did a whole pod on a, a virtual game. You know, it's, I need to get back to real basketball. And speaking of uh, good real basketball players, James Harden had 44 when these guys met in November and Russell Westbrook had 17 and he was five for 21. And that seems backwards of what uh, the read I get on how those guys are playing recently for the Rockets. Correct. I mean, it is. And it's, it's really this, Really, it's been a frustrating angle, you know, when you're looking at things through a Rockets lens because James Harden started the season so strong. You know, November, December, he was playing out of his mind and then had, honestly, what was probably the worst stretch of his career in January, which is right about the same time that Russell Westbrook kind of unlocked this new version of Westbrook where he stopped taking threes, he focused, he had this recommitted, you know, uh, intense focus on driving to the basket you know, excelling at what he's good at, which is getting to the rim, getting to the free throw line, you know, not take it, you know, he still factors in the mid range a little bit, but you're absolutely right. It's, it's kind of flip flopped as to how you would expect it to look as of how they, how they played as of late, which is kind of strange to look at a box score like this. So do you think I'm I'm burying a lead here, but I'm going to talk about how terrible the matchup these two guys are for the Pacers in a second. But do you think Harden playing bad is a factor in Russ playing good, or did they just happen to happen at the same time? You know, I do think that I I, I don't want to put any credence on that because I you know that was kind of a hotly debated topic amongst you know Rockets fans and Rockets Twitter and whatnot is you know oh can you know can Russell Westbrook play well and James Harden play well at the same time and we've seen it we've seen you know individual games where they both had a good game now I do think it was largely just a really bad slump on Harden's part. I don't think that has anything to do with Westbrook playing well. And, you know, we saw much of February where Russell Westbrook was still playing out of his mind and James Harden also had a really successful February. And then regrettably it ended with the, you know, just before the hiatus took place, the Rockets go one and four and they had that really bad four game losing streak with three losses coming to under 500 teams. And that didn't look super great on the surface, but 
I think it's mostly just they're still trying to work out the kinks. They're both still trying. You know, they're guy. They're two guys who need to have the balls and uh, the ball in their hand. We're gonna Ooh. skip that Freudian Ooh. slip there. Yikes! Ooh. All right. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> that that's gonna come back to haunt me. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> they are two basketball players who like to have the ball in their hands, and so I think maybe there might be a little bit of you know if one guy's dominating the ball in a given game a little bit more than the other guy, you know guy number two is off his rhythm a little bit or something like that but I don't think it's any large picture oh these guys can't work together type scenario yeah my take on that is that it's not any different than any other two ball dominant guys like it's not like something about Westbrook or Harden specifically impedes the other player it's just they're high usage guys that's how this goes basically yeah yeah they torched the Pacers the first time Uh, obviously Harden doing most of the damage uh, Aaron Holiday started alongside Brogdon in that game. Jeremy Lamb had an ankle injury. Former Rocket for like the briefest of times, Jeremy. Right, yeah. Preseason Traded games only. James Harden. Yes, he was in the trade for James Harden. It, there, there's pictures of him in Rockets jerseys, which is wild, because he didn't even play a single regular season game with them. Because I think he got preseason and then got traded, which is... Yeah, that, that Harden trade was very last minute, so... It was. Um, no, Brogdon would have been the case this time which is why I would have fears about this matchup again. Not that Oladipo being back is, is a little thing. He's a good defender, but he's been mostly an off-ball defender since returning. And Aaron Holiday, for how well he did on Russ the first time, this is a new Russ, obviously Harden's a beast. I do not think that matchup would have gone well for the Pacers, which is why I wanted to know if they, if they are impeding each other or just one's in a slump. And it seems like Harden's in a slump, and he just – the way the Pacers defend with kind of like the principles they use where they can force guys to Miles Turner if they need to and they're, you know, they don't switch as much, Harden just destroys them. And I think even in an environment where Russ is, is killing it and he is given more opportunities than he was the first time, Harden would still have a fantastic game because he would always have a half step on his defender to be able to read a defense and create a bucket. And that's why the Rockets are just such a tough team for the Pacers to play, even when some of their guys play their best games. You know, it's it's interesting because I feel like as the Locked On Rockets host, I should be in agreement with some of these statements. But I'm kind <laughs> of like I'm kind of of a different opinion. That, well, let's go. That's this is good. You it's know, debate so show. He, here's the thing: is basically ever since the Rockets fully committed to small ball, you know, they trade oh, away Clint Capella, they bring in Robert Covington. Yes. All right, well, you know, it just schematically, kind of how their team works now is I haven't exactly seen the same level of explosiveness from James Harden and in fact you know I've kind of been beating this drum for a while now that since the trade James Harden hasn't looked as effective in a five-out lineup and I do worry that you know against a team like the Pacers with a Miles Turner who can kind of hang back and clog up the paint a little bit and then as long as they're forcing James Harden into these difficult driving lanes he has become, he was already kind of a bit of a predictable player. And it's tough to say James Harden is predictable because he's still one of the best players in the league, but you know what he's going to do. He's going to, you know, work his way into a step back three pointer, or he's going to drive all of the way, all the way to the rim. He doesn't settle for the mid range. And so when you completely neglect a big chunk of the court, it does make it a little bit easier for defenses to game plan against you. Now, back when he had Clint Capella as a lob threat, it made things a little bit harder because as he got near the rim, you had to worry, okay, is it a lob to Capella? is it a you can get stuck in no man's land exactly now there's no more there's no more of that indecisiveness from opposing bigs you know and miles turner is a guy who at least i think 
if he's guarding, you know, PJ Tucker and has to kind of cheat his way out to the perimeter a little bit, I feel like he's probably athletic and quick enough to be able to get back in towards the paint to, you know, assist on a James Harden drive and make things difficult for him. And so I, I kind of, again, I wish we could have seen what this game would have looked like because no. I don't think it would have been as lopsided as we're thinking. That's interesting. Yeah, I was, I was going to talk to you about it. I guess we'll do it now. The small ball stuff, because this game would have been hilarious to me. With the yin and yang of Sabonis Turner on one end and just no centers on the other end because Sabonis didn't so Turner didn't play the first time these guys played so it was just Sabonis and Jakar Sampson oh, my my man Jakar Sampson um, <laughs> and Sabonis did not do that well but Tyson Chandler was on the other side a lot and Isaiah Hartenstein was on the other side a lot they had not not that those guys are like the greatest post defenders on the planet but they had no, like but it's a, legitimate size yeah a large person in the paint on him. I would have loved to see Sabonis being guarded by whoever, P.J. Tucker, Daniel House, Robert Covington, whoever they would have chose. I'm assuming P.J. Tucker's the answer there, but you never know. Um, because, and I talked about this last week when talking about the Heat, a lot of times with Sabonis it's interesting because even really good interior defenders like Turner and Embiid and Gobert and whatever, they're really good at like help defense and rotating and defending pick and rolls, but a lot of times strictly defending post-ups is harder, right? It's like a skill that... No one has anymore because there's no post-ups. But Sabonis still posts guys up, and that's how he gets some buckets. I think on P.J. Tucker, specifically, that would have been really interesting because he's strong. And to see how he can create with a massive size advantage because he very rarely has advantages like that. I think that would have been fascinating. I think Turner spacing the floor against these guys would have been fascinating. You know, How can he use his size to create buckets? It would have been so interesting to see how this game played out. You know, and there's been, so there's been, I, there's kind of two parts to this that I want to tackle. The first is, you're absolutely right, PJ Tucker probably would have been the primary defender, but because of the Rockets switch heavy defense, yes, right? you know, everybody, <laughs> everybody's going to guard everybody at some point. Now, the thing is, is they still, they do still opt to try and keep, you know, either Tucker or Harden or Covington, you know, somebody who has some semblance of post defense on opposing bigs. So those probably would have been like the three and then obviously, you know, like Daniel House too kind of getting cycled on Sabonis. But I do want to say, quick caveat, I picked, you know, I did like a roundtable like uh, article or something recently, and I picked Sabonis as my uh, most improved player of the year candidate. So I'm just, Whoa. you know, throwing that out there. Whoa. I, I think I, I think what he's accomplished it has been phenomenal. I mean, he got his first All Star selection. Just the way that you know the team has leaned on him in the absence of Oladipo, You're I think some that's friends pretty, here. Hey, well, hey, look, I I appreciate good basketball and bonus. <laughs> you know, the Pacers are a good team. They're they're a team that deserves a little bit more respect in the Eastern Conference. I think you know you constantly hear Raptors, Celtics. You know, 76 76ers are sitting in the in the sixth seed, and yeah. you know they're lower they're lower seed than the Pacers, and yet I hear more about the 76ers than I do the. Pacers. I don't think that's right. I love so, that. Anyways, um, I I did I actually I will I have to segue for a quick second. I did take a shot at the Pacers though because I did a trash talk podcast the other day, and I took a shot at all twenty nine teams. And when I did talk about the Pacers, I said the only time the Pacers get any national media attention is when Reggie uh, Reggie Miller brings up his playing days. So that was yes. my quick little jab at the Pacers. Um, it's okay. We all know and acknowledge in Pacer land that Reggie was a great player and not the best announcer ever. It's okay. All right. Well, you know, no <laughs> pun intended, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> anyways, um, so, you know, I think Sabonis would have had a monster game, honestly, because that's one area that the Rockets have absolutely struggled in is when they do have legitimate post presence. Um, they just, they don't really have a way to stop it. And a part short of, 
double teaming, you know, short of sending a second guy to double right. team, but then you're giving up, you know, potentially wide open three pointers or easy backdoor cuts to the basket. And that's kind of my second area is I was rewatching the highlights from the first time that these two teams played. And even though the Rockets have a completely different team now, and, you know, there's obviously there's no Brogdon now for the Pacers, you know, it's things would look a little bit different. But one area that the Pacers did take advantage of is these, you know, slipping the screens and getting all these easy, like, backdoor cuts and, you know, slip screens for easy layups right at the rim. Exactly. There you go. So those kinds of baskets have been just killers for the Rockets. And I feel like the Pacers are one of the teams that would have been able to take the most advantage of that. Small uh, segue for, or a hypothetical segue for me. Doug McDermott on the Rockets would be like a top 50 NBA player. <laughs> I do. I'm right there. You know, for a team that prides itself on shooting as many three pointers as they do. And, you know, just it, it, it bothers me that the Rockets have never had a player that is really like a three point specialist, quote unquote, because it feels like they always yeah. have volume three point guys or streaky three point guys, but never like a true three point specialist. The last guy that I can think of, was really Ryan Anderson. Although, to be fair to him, this season, Ben McLemore has been phenomenal. He's yeah. in like the top five of three-point percentage across the league. So maybe they did find themselves a three-point specialist, but I, I need to see a full season of it to really uh, – well, you know, and Ben McLemore at 21 when these teams first played. So He did. Yeah, he was very – the Pacers, Pacers Twitter always whines. Uh, this is kind of intentional. But the Pacers, like – kind of forget about the fifth guy for the other team a lot on purpose, you know, just like strong side defense principles. So like someone on the other team that appears to be a random player is going to be wide open a lot and score a lot of points. So everyone's like, Oh, who's the random player that's going to kill the Pacers this time? Oh, it's Ben McLemore. Okay, great. You know, it, he was great, but he had six free throws. That was kind of obscure. Back to small ball though. Here's where another Sabonis thing is an advantage to me. And I want you to answer a question before I truly talk about this, but I'm imagining the biggest hindrance of small ball is rebounding, correct? Absolutely. Yes. So that is where I would uh, I would think Sabonis' biggest advantages would come into play. He had 13 rebounds the first time these guys played. And that was with Tyson Chandler and Hartenstein, like I said. You take away all the big bodies. He's already so strong. I think he would have had like six offensive rebounds. And that's where the Pacers could have caught up in this matchup to me is they could have had more possessions than the Rockets, despite having probably a less efficient like per possession number than the Rockets, who have t- totally optimized the three-pointers and layups. He, they would have had more possessions, and that's what they would have tried to catch up in this game. I, I completely agree with you. I've compared it in the past, you know, crossing our sports references here. I've compared it to like time on the field in football. Right. You know, you just, you get more possessions because you are crashing the glass harder. And for the Rockets, you know, the way that this small ball system works is there's such a thin margin for error where if you don't have all five of your guys rebounding by committee on every single possession, then you're going to lose some rebounds. Like that's just, that's going to happen. So if if everybody's not boxing out, if one or two guys take off down the court, you know, trying to, you know, start the fast break or whatever, then suddenly you're putting yourself at a disadvantage. And I do think that for a team that isn't necessarily one of the best defensive teams in the league, they're kind of this, I'd say they're like roughly middle of the pack. Like I think last time I looked at like the advanced stats, they're like somewhere like 15, 16. And that's because they started the season kind of poorly. Their defense hasn't dropped off much since they switched from Clint Capella to Robert Covington, which a lot of people thought was going to happen. But again, they're not that great of a defensive team. So for a team that isn't that great on that side of the court, you don't want to 
force yourself to play more defense than you have to. You know, you give up these offensive boards. You know, if you give up one, two, three offensive rebounds in one possession, you're going to wear yourself out by A, having to play defense, and then B, giving the opposing team so many different opportunities to score again. Yeah, man, this would have been really – you know, I was pretty cavalier on the Rockets when we started this, but now I'm really wishing we could have watched this game. It would have been a good one. I'm saying. So interesting. Well, and the Pacers bench has been like the thing for them this year. I mean, it was terrible at the beginning of the year, but it's caught them into a lot of games they shouldn't have been in, including the Rockets game the first time. I believe McDermott was really good and McConnell was really good. I think that would have been interesting too because the Rockets bench right now is not super high. I mean, I love love my indie man Eric Gordon, but I'm not really uh, enthralled by any Rockets bench player. No offense to any of them. So out of ah, there's so now I want to see this game. Now I'm like frustrated. The first right, like, no, yeah. There, there, I mean, there's a lot of different wrinkles and what could have you know what could have happened and what would have been interesting. And you're right, the bench for the Rockets, you know, largely Eric Gordon has had a really down year, which has been the first he got hurt really bad, had. right? Yeah, so he's been dealing with, you know, dealing with that knee injury and so he just he wasn't right to start the season, took a big chunk of time off, came back and he's had a couple good games since being back but just hasn't found that consistency and Eric Gordon really is kind of the X factor for this team and has been, you know, through the two Chris Paul years, basically it was James Harden, Chris Paul and then the games where Eric Gordon showed up, the Rockets were almost unstoppable. And then the games where he didn't show up, you know, they relied on Clint Capella, who was kind of a consistent factor and less so of like an X factor because you could kind of count on the double-double on a nightly basis from Clint. But with Eric, you know, when he shows up, when he has, you know, one of his, you know, I say monster games, but when he drops in, you know, a solid 15 to 20 off the bench or, you know, last year where he started a big chunk of the season just because the Rockets didn't have somebody to play at the three spot, uh, that's when they're at their best. And so they've largely not had that this year, but from kind of just – like a, a Pacers perspective, who's been the guy that you've been most surprised like this season with? Wow. The most surprised number one, probably TJ Warren, just because they've had him play defense like really well. Um, but I'm not sure. I, there's been a lot of pretty surprising guys. Justin Holiday's like a really good offensive player all of a sudden. Uh, Doug McDermott was terrible last year and is good this year. Sabonis, like you just said, super improved. I don't know. Who was your most surprising pacer? You know, it's I've got to go with I've got to go with Ben McLemore, you know, and I and you or know the, 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 the yeah, no, 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 you're you're good. Well, my my most surprising, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, um no, I I have to go with I have to go with Benny Mac and threes. Um I would also pick him. Good. He's just you know, and you know the Rockets people that are listening to this right now. You know, I, I I like to. It's not that I like to do it. It's that I try to be as realistic as possible. And so I've kind of put down Ben Mclemore quite a bit on Locked On Rockets, just because I like going so far as comparing him. I've said that he is the guard version of Ryan Anderson. He is. And he, I mean, he basically is. He is. I've, I, I've said it time and time again. The that dude takes you, one two-pointer a game. I don't, like, he is Ryan Anderson. Just stand and, behind this arc on both ends of the floor. Exactly. And I mean, you know, when you are a three-point specialist, when that is what you bring to the table and there's just not much else, I feel like your time is going to get cut a little bit short come playoffs when, you know on switches, things like that, he's going to get abused. Now, that doesn't take away from what he's been able to do, and I do appreciate, you know, kind of this niche that he found within the Rockets organization that he is finally, you know, able to excel because for the large, for, you know, for the better part of his career, you know, he was kind of just, he just, 
I mean, he was a lottery pick and then he just didn't pan out in Sacramento. He had like his first, his rookie season and sophomore season were like, all right. And then he just kind of like, you look at his career numbers and they just kind of dipped and he was basically almost out of the league. And now he's kind of found a, you know, a, you know, rejuvenation, I guess, and has been able to kind of make a name for himself again, which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. With him, I think, I mean, this is a, a guy I just said, just about the McDermott last year in the playoffs was kind of similar because for those guys, that, like you said, they're going to get abused. McDermott didn't even play in the Pacers' last playoff game because the Celtics just killed him when he was out there. For that guy, Ben McMore, Doug McDermott, whatever, to play, they have to be making their threes. They have to do the thing that keeps them on the court. McDermott Absolutely. in the playoffs last year missed all of his threes. That's not good. So they literally couldn't play him. Like, he was a worthless NBA player. And not that Ben McMore is going to be worthless, but if he, if he misses all his threes like McDermott did, he's literally not playable in the playoffs. It becomes a huge concern, absolutely. And, and you know, one one thing that I did kind what of... What did my man to, Cephalosha if that happens? Oh, well, yeah. Oh, and Cephalosha hasn't been getting much burn lately. You know, one guy that I've been clamoring for that, you know, everybody's been clamoring for is Damari Carroll. You know, they signed him, they yeah, brought good. him in. and I forgot about him. He's been getting no playing time. And I think he's a guy that, you know, you know career like 34, 35% from behind the arc. Great defender. I think he's a guy that definitely warrants some playing time, but it's just one of those... Mike D'Antoni head scratchers where you're like, why is he not playing? That is interesting. Who's he? Is he behind Green and Macklemore on the wing? It's not even so much that he's behind. No, he's because Green basically exclusively plays the backup five spot now. So, you know, when Green checks in, he's the de facto backup small ball five. And obviously it's still switch everything. But uh, Green's been getting consistent minutes there because he gives them a little bit more size at six, nine compared to the six, sevens and unders that are running, you know, for the rest of the game. Yeah. But it's it's more so that, yeah, he's he's kind of. Uh, Carroll's been buried behind basically it's Austin Rivers, Eric Gordon, and Ben McLemore, you know, and it's three guards coming off the bench because your starting lineup has all the forwards in it. So, right. um, you know, I would like to see him get a little bit more burn. I think he's worth it, even just 10 minutes a game. But again, Mike D'Antoni has other plans. <laughs> right. All right. Last guy I want to talk about before I make you decide who was going to win this game the big trade, the biggest to me. Biggest NBA trade deadline trade. Sorry, D'Angelo Russell. Robert Covington. Great NBA player. Fantastic basketball player. Played 41 minutes in the Rockets last game, I'm seeing here, before the NBA suspension. How good does he even fit on this team, and how much is he ruining TJ Warren's day in this game? (laughs) Um, You know, he has exceeded my expectations, honestly. And I think part of it comes from... You know, I thought with the Rockets, we're getting a really solid wing defender. I thought they were getting, you know, somebody to shore up their perimeter defense. And, you know, that's that they were going to be largely susceptible to, uh, you know, drives to post-ups to all this, you know, interior, uh, their, that their interior defense was going to falter. And that really hasn't been the case. And part of that is the combo, the the duo of P.J. Tucker and Robert Covington, because Robert Covington even though he's only six foot seven, he plays a lot taller than that. He plays, you know, I like to, you know, the word verticality gets thrown around a lot. And I immediately think of Roy Hibbert whenever we say verticality, (laughs) but, um, you know, Robert Covington, he's six, seven, but he's got a seven foot two wingspan. And alongside PJ Tucker, you know, if, if Tucker's guarding, say Tucker's, you know, holding Sabonis, then 
you know, Robert Covington excels at kind of coming over from the weak side and being that weak side shot blocker or, or helping with the double teams and causing turnovers and playing the passing lanes. And he has been, you know, that's why the Rockets defense hasn't had this wow. significant drop off because of how good Robert Covington is on that side of the court. Two and he, a half blocks per game in Houston. Two and a, he had a stretch. It was six games in a row where he had three or more blocks, which tied a streak from Hakeem Olajuwon back, I think, during the 94 or wow. 95 season, which, you know, anytime you're referenced in the same sentence Hakeem. as Hakeem Olajuwon, yeah. you're doing something right. Holy cow. Uh, four, four, three, four, three. Dang. There you go. And that that's not including his offensive contributions, which, you know, he's a great three-point shooter he's got this high release and it's a it's a quick release but it's a high release and it's a high arching shot to the point where it's really hard for an opposing defense to stop him and he has I, uh he has west west matthews itis where he loves the shot fake one dribble to the right there you go yeah and uh um, great shot if you can in, in fact I, the one shot that i think of was still from his rockets debut he was pinned in the corner shot clock running down had anthony davis on him and was still able to get the shot up and over anthony davis and swished it and i'm like how like how does this guy how do he do that um but the un, an underrated part of his game too is he can put the ball on the floor a little bit you know he hasn't he's not like an elite finisher by any stretch of the imagination but I think one of the issues with the Rockets is they are kind of predictable and that it's going to be Russ or Harden handling the ball. They kick it out for the three, and then if it's not there, then they kind of reset and, you know, let's try again. But one of the times that – or one of the areas that I think they are the most deadly and when they are – I guess when they're doing it is when they have their wings actually attacking off of closeouts because if somebody's closing out on Covington and then he puts the ball on the floor, it keeps the defense scrambling. And Daniel House has shown that he can do that a little bit. Austin Rivers is good at that. Eric Gordon's really good at that. But P.J. Tucker largely wasn't, and obviously Clint Capella wasn't sitting on the three-point line. So having a guy who can kind of attack off the closeout has been huge for keeping the ball moving and keeping the offense kind of humming smoothly. Right. Man, how big was that Lakers win for the Rockets? Because that was the debut of the small ball era, and then they got thumped the next night in Phoenix. Oh, they had man, lost if, both of those games. Everyone been like, "What a failure of an experiment!" Oh, it would have been awful. I just, you know, <laughs> I, I just, it was, it was very Rocketsy fashion to come out and you know destroy the Lakers. You know, in kind of, it was a kind of a, it was an impressive win. You know, it wasn't like a blowout, but they were, it, they had a commanding lead for you know a big chunk of the game, and they pulled away in that fourth quarter. But then, yeah, they they lose to the Suns the next night, and you know, it would have been no, just, no, 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 they got their shit pushed in by the Suns the next night that yeah it was it was it was pretty rough with the Suns game no I know I'm not trying to sugarcoat that one at all it's you know it it would have just it would have been otherworldly had they you know lost both games like they we would have never heard the end of it they'd still be talking about it on ESPN right now they would have been like do you remember when the Rockets lost to the Lakers because they thought small ball was gonna work like <laughs> yeah it would have been one of those it would have all right the the big question Pacers Rockets tonight in Indianapolis. Well, fake game. Who would have won? <sighs> for as for as much as I was kind of uh, riding the Pacers chalk earlier a little bit, I'm going to go Rockets. Me I, too. I think Rockets okay. win, but I think it's a I think it's a competitive game. I would if I had to put like a final score on it, I'd probably go like 114-107 or 108 or something like that. Like a competitive like two possession game by the end. Yeah, I think it would have been pretty close too. now that we I thought when we started, I would have gone a little more towards the Rockets, but the yin and yang fight made me go a little more towards the Pacers as we're discussing. I still think the Rockets would have won uh, two stars is more than zero. But Oladipo did play really well in the last game before the suspension. So you never know. But yeah, I think I would have taken the Rockets like 
110-104, something like that. Pretty close to score the first game, honestly. Oh, man. I really wish we could see this one. I might just – I don't even own 2K. I might get someone who owns 2K to sim this Yeah, just get out. somebody to sim it. There you go. Just someone else, <laughs> just so I can see the, yeah, the, the center battle. I think that would have been fascinating. Jackson, where can people follow you and your stuff? Thanks for, uh, thanks for joining me today. Absolutely. Happy to join anytime. Uh, I'm on Twitter at JT Gatlin, and then obviously the show's on there at Locked on Rockets, and that's basically where you can find me and all the stuff that I do. Yes, Locked on Rockets, fantastic, Jackson. Uh, formerly Ben DuBose, who was on in November. Uh, great work over there. Uh, thanks so much for coming on, dude. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Anytime, man. Have a good one. And we will see you guys next week to talk uh, about Lakers Pacers Finals Game 2, so stay tuned for that.